Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Genesis. So glad that you can join us today. My name is Jonathan Chan and we will be embarking on four chapters today. That's right, we're going to do chapters 6, 7, 8, and 9 of Genesis. Not one chapter, not two chapters, but four chapters. And you know what? You have Dan Forrest to blame because he's the one who did our preaching schedule. Anyways, but before we begin our episode today, I have a video to show you. And so, sit tight and we'll be right back. Titan was like most planets. Too many mouths, not enough to go around. And when we faced extinction, I offered a solution. Genocide. But random, dispassionate, fair to rich and poor alike. Okay. Let's just be very clear, God is not Thanos, and nor is Thanos God. However, the Avengers' last two movies to conclude their movie canon, i.e. Infinity Wars and Endgame, reminded me of the ancient Near East flood stories that the author was taught when he wrote Noah's Ark. To contrast those stories when he experienced his true God's character. You see, if you recall, this author is this author who lived and experienced God's providence through the desert when they were wandering through the desert after they exited Egypt. Now, some say uh, the author of Genesis was Moses. They could be right. But the general agreement is that this author or one of the Israelites was one of the Israelites within the crowd of Israelites that exited out of Egypt. So, if you've seen the Infinity Wars and the Endgame and you're familiar with the story of Noah's Ark, you might be saying to yourself right now, huh, yeah, John has a good point. There are some similarities. Yes, but there are significant differences as well that separate Noah's Ark with the Avenger movies and also the ancient Near East flood stories. And lucky you. I'll be identifying those differences in this episode. Now, for those who haven't seen Infinity Wars or Endgame, or if you were like my wife who fell asleep in both movies, yes, she did. How did she do that? No idea. In this episode today, I must warn you that there will be spoilers, and I am not apologizing for it. So, let's move on. Just a quick recap and reminder. The author finds himself in the ancient Near East with ancient Near East cosmology stories, such as how the world began and many universal flood stories that the various gods used to wipe away the old world of humanity. Bruce Walkie, in his commentary on Genesis, noted three of those flood stories that the author was likely taught or influenced by number one, the Sumerian account with the hero Zuistra. Number two, the old Akkadian account with the hero Atrahasis. And number three, the old Babylonian account contained in the Gilgamesh epic with the hero, okay, here we go, Anapishtim. Anapishtim. There are many more flood stories. But apparently, based on Walkie, these three were the ones that pre-existed and very similar to Noah's Ark. 
But because many of us are not archaeologists or historians, we're probably not familiar with these stories, nor some of you, or, or even myself, have any interest in knowing them. And so what I'll be doing is take Thanos, the Infinity Wars and Endgame, as the culmination of these three ancient Near East flood stories to hopefully explain the story of Noah's Ark and why Noah's Ark is not about God's wrath or anger, not about giving himself some peace and quiet like Thanos or like the other gods, but God flooded the world out of love for humanity. Let me say that again. The author here is telling Noah's Ark story because he is saying that it is not about God's wrath or anger, not about giving himself some peace and quiet like Thanos or like the other gods, but God flooded the world out of love for humanity. You see, for the author, the great universal flood happened. He wasn't there, but it happened. He believed it, just like everyone else, because really, he didn't have the scientific evidence nor the tools to prove it. He just accepted it and believed it like everyone else. So it was not his concern whether the flood was universal or local or whether the flood existed at all. He just believed it and said it happened. However, his main concern was, given that the flood happened, why did his God, the God who he has come to know and experience, flood the world as opposed to the reasons of Thanos and the other gods that he was taught? Noah's Ark is about telling the reader that it was God who flooded the world, the true God, Yahweh, who flooded the world, not any other God. And also, Noah's Ark is to tell us why God flooded the world, because of his love for the world. Okay, let's begin with Genesis chapter 6, starting with verse 5, and we'll read to verse 8. Follow along if you have your Bibles with me, or just look at the screen here. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart, and the Lord said, I will wipe this human race and that I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. But Noah found favor with the Lord. Bruce Walkie says this, God with great pain only destroys humanity because it is destroying itself and the earth, and he chooses a remnant to restore hope to humanity totally evil. God looked at the extent of the choices humanity made, and nothing they chose was good but thoroughly evil. The pinnacle of human evil. And if we wanted to look at how evil was this evil, all we have to do is look at Cain's Lamech. Remember him? Where he murdered someone out of revenge. Killing fellow human beings was becoming out of control and a norm. People were killing each other, hurting each other, and exploiting each other while neglecting to care for creation. And therefore, both humanity and creation suffered together, spiraling out of control and multiplying this evil and chaos tenfold, thousandsfold. So, God said, enough is enough. 
God kept his side of the covenant for quite some time and even gave 120 years for humanity to change their ways. He enabled humanity to multiply and continued to give provisions of life, but humanity continued to exploit it and abuse their God-given image. They even used all their blessings that they received from God to kill each other. That broke God's heart. It was enough and God concluded it was time to end it all and wipe everything clean. Humanity failed to keep creation and the cosmos holy and sacred, and God determined it was time to bring in the consequence that was due for humanity, i.e. extinction. Now, unlike Thanos' solution of using an Excel randomizer and snap his fingers and limiting just half of the population, God concluded that all of humanity needs to go. And unlike Thanos, where his reasoning for eliminating half of the human population was because of scarce resources, overpopulation, and he also found humans useless and annoying, similar to the other gods and the other flood stories, total depravity, wickedness, and evil were the ultimate reasons why God concluded humanity had to end. Then, the great but. But Noah found favor with the Lord. In the midst of all the evil and chaos in the entire world, there was a glimmer of light within a small, small family. Will they too be eliminated indiscriminately and indifferently like Thanos and all the other gods would do? Or would this God, in whom the author has now experienced and has seen what God can do with the faithful, will this God the true God, do something different? Does this God really care about humanity that if he sees just a speck of faithfulness, it is enough to save humanity from extinction? The answer comes now. Let's move on to verse 17. Look, I am about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for all the animals. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. Interesting, right? That God said, my covenant my covenant. In other words, my side of the covenant terms will continue through Noah. Meaning, as Bruce Walkie noted, that God is continuing the existing terms of God's side of the covenant through Noah, i.e. enabling humanity to flourish, to multiply, and be fruitful through Noah. This shows how much God wants humanity to flourish and be in his covenant. This shows how much God loves humanity and all living creatures. He sees Noah, a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God, the only person, one person out of the entire world. God saw that that one person was enough to continue his side of the covenant and save humanity. That's a wow, folks. As opposed to Thanos and the other gods, 
Remember what Thanos said? The elimination of humanity would be random, whether they're rich or poor, good or evil, it didn't matter? Well, for God, goodness did matter because he desires humans to experience goodness and holiness. And God didn't just save humanity through Noah. If you recall, God's side of the covenant was to give humanity rulership and be the caretaker of creation. And so, God also provided Noah that role when God led the animals to Noah. God really wants to bless humanity. Even though humanity in general was spiraling out of control and totally disobeying the covenant and just completely doing evil, God still wanted, actually God desperately wanted to bless and love humanity. And by finding Noah, that was enough for him to fulfill his side of the covenant and pour the blessings onto Noah through to save humanity. Amazing, isn't it? That God is so persistent. Let's continue. Genesis chapter 7, verse 5. So Noah did everything as the Lord commanded him. Everything that breathed and lived on dry land died. God wiped out every living thing on the earth. People, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and the birds of the sky all were destroyed. The only people who survived were Noah and those with him in the boat, and the flood waters covered the earth for 150 days. Let's pause for a moment, for a moment, and I'll show you another video clip. So sit back, enjoy this next clip, and we'll be right back. The flood. A flood? Rolling out. The flood. This has been the hottest, driest summer on record, and you say we're going to have a flood. When might we expect this? September 22nd, midday. That's what I was told. Might I ask who told you? Not in front of all those people. Don't say it. Don't say it. God. We've all been there, being mocked for doing what we believe was right. I've been there too. You've been there, for sure. Think about Noah. Here he was with his family, building this massive boat in the middle of dry land, telling passersby to repent and call on the name of the Lord or you'll be drowned in the flood. In chapter 5, Noah was 500 years old. By the time the flood came, Noah was 600 years old. That means, loosely, Noah endured a whole lot of years of mockery from the people who were watching. Yet that's the covenant with God, isn't it? Obeying and trusting in God takes a lot of faith in the unseen, and we are called to be faithful in the unseen. Throughout the early chapters of Genesis, God was clearly doing his part of the covenant. So the question for all of us and as the readers was whether humanity would be able to do their side, i.e., by trusting and obeying God. As a reader, you would ask yourself, if Adam and Eve failed, will Noah failed? Well, apparently he didn't, as the author noted that Noah did everything as the Lord commanded him. So there is hope for humanity, after all, to be able to do their part of the covenant. And because Noah did everything as the Lord commanded him, i.e. trusted and obeyed God, Noah was declared righteous. It's interesting to note that God had faith in Noah to not fail or disobey. He trusted Noah. It is no wonder then that God was severely disappointed in Adam and in Cain's line. 
He was betrayed by them. But thankfully, Noah was proved to be faithful and obedient. Humanity's existence should thank Noah for this. Now, some of you might be wondering, where is the comparison and contrast between this segment with Thanos and the other flood stories of the ancient Near East? Well, the Avengers, well, Tony Stark specifically, were the heroes in the end. And it was their intellect, bravery, and the Avengers' fighting skills that helped them defeat Thanos. Well, similar to the ancient Near East stories. In those stories, the heroes were cunning, intellectual, and strong. And most of those stories had the heroes deceive the gods and through their deception, saved humanity. No, that's not how this author sees God, the God that he has experienced. God can't be deceived, nor does he want humanity to use deception, brute force, or their own intellectual capacity. He desires us to trust and obey him. That's it. That's the way to be saved from death and chaos. It is to go back and repent, trust and obey him back into the covenant. Now, let's move to chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock with him in the boat. He sent a wind to blow across the earth and the floodwaters began to recede. Then God said to Noah, Leave the boat, all of you, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Release all the animals, the birds, the livestock, and the small animals that scurry along the ground so they can be fruitful and multiply through the earth. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race. Even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood, I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. Bruce Walkie talked about the word remember because God remembered. He says this, Unlike English remembered, which refers merely to mental recall and entails having forgotten, the Hebrew term, especially with reference to God, signifies to act upon a previous commitment to a covenant partner. When we get mocked for doing something we believe is right, it can get quite lonely. I have a few friends who have the spiritual gift of discernment, and they often tell me that if the Holy Spirit tells them to speak forth on something that is not right, many times people will ridicule them and ostracize them. It gets lonely when you want to do something that you believe is right. Think about Noah. Now, now that he has done everything that God has told him to do, here he is on a floating zoo with his family in the middle of this vast, empty ocean. Do you feel that sometime? When you stand up for what you believe in and everyone abandons you and you feel that you're alone in a vast ocean. Well, Jesus did too. Betrayed by his disciples and followers, handed over to be crucified by the very people he came to save, he was left hanging on the cross alone. Yet this story reminds us that God honors those who trust and obey him. He does not forget them and will keep his promise. God is trustworthy and we can have faith in God when we do what he wants us to do. Lose your job? Ostracized by your coworkers? Ridiculed because of your beliefs? Snuffed of a promotion? Mocked because you're a Christian? 
trust that God will honor your obedience and he will always fulfill his part of the covenant with you. God remembered, i.e. acted on his covenant, his promise with Noah and had the waters recede, meaning that God had complete control over the chaos that was happening. Do we trust that God has in control of the chaos that is happening now in the midst of COVID? While evil tempts and mocks us, do we trust that God is Lord over them as well? He's the one that will tell them to stop. He's the one who will command them to do his will just like the waters. This runs completely contrary to the gods of the ancient Near East flood stories. Those gods had no control of the waters. Once they opened the floodgates, they freaked out and said to themselves, what have we done? So they frantically tried to gather as much food as possible to save themselves. The author, knowing that his God is the God over all gods, having witnessed the parting of the Red Sea, God doesn't need food, nor does he lose control of nature. He is in control, and everything does his will. Bruce Walkie concludes this chapter with this. He says this, This crucial expression shows that the subsiding waters of the flood are subject to God's undisputed will. By contrast, in the Babylonian accounts, the gods were terror-struck at the forces they themselves had unleashed. They were appalled at the consequences of their own actions over which they no longer had control. It is only the remembering of God that gives hope and makes new life possible. We also read the beautiful scene where Noah, the representative of humanity, renews his covenant with God through the burnt offering and that God promised not to destroy the earth even though humanity is still bent on doing evil. What does this mean? It means that the covenant still remains where humanity will pay the price for their sin, but creation will not be destroyed because of humanity's sin. Bruce Walkie says this, God will providentially preserve the earth and its ecology until the final judgment. Humanity still has every inclination to sin and disobey God. Just look at today. Just look at Noah's binge drinking and what one of Noah's sons, Ham, did in the end of chapter 9. Yes, right after the burnt offering, right after the whole flood, right after everything and declaring Noah was righteous, Noah screws up. And his son. Yes, that was quick, right? So, what am I talking about? Let's move on to our last chapter of this episode in chapter 9. Chapter 9. Then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Now be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth. I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will flood waters kill all living creatures. Never again will the flood destroy the earth. I'm going to leave the whole binge drinking and what Ham did with his dad for Dan Forrest that following the next week. But let's talk about the early passages of chapter 9 to conclude our episode today. In the ancient Near East, the reason why the gods flooded the world was because they saw humanity as annoying. Humanity began to multiply and overcrowded the gods' personal space. The gods thought they were noisy, smelly, and worse, they started to have minds of their own, which means humanity didn't do the chores that the gods want them to do. You know, vacuuming, all the boring stuff. So, the gods wanted to, wanted to control the population by unleashing the flood. This was very similar to Thanos, right? 
where Thanos saw humanity using up resources and their population should be controlled with a snap of his finger. The author of Genesis says no. That's not the God he experienced thus far in the desert. His God wants humanity to flourish. His God continues to feed them and provide for their needs. He cannot be those gods he learned about in his cosmology, cosmology classes. No, his God is a loving God and keeps his promise to enable humanity to be fruitful and multiply because God wants to bless them. And therefore, we end with this passage where we come full circle back to why God flooded the world and spared Noah and his family. See, God loves humanity so much that he saved humanity from annihilating themselves to extinction. He knew that humanity could not fulfill their part of the covenant, but he desperately seeks someone who walked faithfully and was trustworthy to obey him. And he did. He found that person in Noah, which God promised to start a whole new chapter of humanity through him. See, God loves humanity so much that through Noah's faithfulness and obedience, one person was enough for God not to use the flood again. Yet humanity continued to fail and disobey God. God waited just as he did with humanity prior to the flood in hopes that humanity will turn around. But time and time again, as we will see in the latter stories of the Old Testament and the now, they did not. And hence, God said, enough. But instead of using the flood, because he promised not to, he did something else. See, humanity owed God a debt in this covenant because God fulfilled his side and humanity didn't. So humanity owed God a debt. And that was basically death. But instead of annihilating humanity, God did something else. He gave his son Jesus, the one faithful representative of humanity without any fault or sin, to pay the debt that humanity owed on the cross. And all of humanity was saved through him as long as they believed that it happened. That's another amazing story of Noah's Ark, a story of God's persistent love for all of us. Amen.